Volume two, chapter seventeen of the day will come by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seventeen. The love of these is like the lightning spear and shrivels whom it touches. They consume all things within their reach and last of all their lonely selves. The cottage was to be let. A board offering it upon a repairing lease announced the fact lord cheriton opened the familiar gate the very sound with which it swung back as he passed recalled a life that was gone that had left nothing but an exceeding bitter sorrow how weedy and dejected the narrow garden looked in the sunshine how moss-grown the gravel path which he and evelyn had once taken such pains to weed and roll in those early days when that modest suburban retreat seemed a happy home and the demon of ennui had not darkened their threshold he entered the well-remembered porch over which the virginia creeper hung in rank luxuriance the house was not unoccupied for slipshod feet came along the passage at the sound of the bell and he heard children's voices in the back premises a slatternly woman with a year-old baby on her left arm opened the door has a lady called here this morning he asked yes sir there is a lady here now in the drawing-room the woman answered eagerly i hope you belong to her for i've been feeling a bit nervous about her with me and the children alone in the house and my husband not coming back till night-time i'm afraid she's not quite right in her head yes i belong to her i have come to fetch her he went into the drawing-room the room that had looked pretty and picturesque enough in those unforgotten days a small room furnished with quaint old secretaire and bookcase chippendale chairs and a carved oak table a pair of old blue and white jars on the top of a dark mahogany bureau a high brass fender that used to glitter in the firelight sober brown damask curtains and half a dozen bartolozzi engravings of rustic subjects in neat oval frames a room that always looked like a dutch picture now that room was a scene of squalor and desolation for furniture there was nothing but a shabby pembroke table wanting two casters and two old cane-seated chairs in each of which the cane was broken and bulging a dilapidated doll in a ragged red gauze frock sprawled amidst the dirt on the bare floor and a greasy rug lay in front of the fireless hearth mrs porter was sitting with her elbows on the table and her head resting on her clasped hands she did not notice lord cheriton's approach till he was standing close beside her when she looked up at him at first her gaze expressed trouble and bewilderment then her face brightened into a quiet smile a look of long ago you are earlier than usual james she said holding out her hand he took her hand in his it was hot and dry as if with a raging fever it was the hand of a murderess but it was also the hand of his victim and he could not refuse to take it was your work over so soon to-day she asked i am afraid it will be ever so long before dinner will be ready and the house is all in a muddle everything wretched looking about her with a puzzled air i can't think what has happened to the rooms she muttered servants are so troublesome she passed her hand across her forehead as if her head were paining her and then looked at him helplessly you are ill evelyn he said gently it was twenty years since he had called her by the name that had been so often on his lips in this house it was almost as if the very atmosphere of the house even in its desolation recalled the old link between them and made him forgetful of what had happened in dorsetshire no i have a headache that is all i shall set to work presently and make everything comfortable for you only i can't find mary i can't get on without mary i don't like the look of that charwoman 
a wretched untidy creature and i don't know what she has done with the furniture i suppose she moved it in order to clean the rooms it is just like their tricks clearing out the furniture and then dawdling ever so long before they begin to scrub the floors he looked at her earnestly wondering whether she was pretending whether she had repented that written acknowledgment of her crime and was simulating madness no it was real enough the eyes with their dull fixed look and dilated pupils the troubled movements of the hands the tremulous lips all told of the unsettled brain there was but one course before him to get her madness established as an accepted fact before there was any chance of her crime being discovered do not trouble about anything he said gently i will get some of the furniture brought back presently and i will get you a servant will you wait quietly here while i see about two or three small matters yes i will wait but don't be long it seems such a long while since yesterday she said looking round the room in a forlorn way and everything is so strangely altered don't be long if you must go out he promised to return in half an hour and then he went out and spoke to the woman how did she come here and when she walked up to the door it was just dinner-time half-past twelve o'clock i thought it was some one to see the house so i let her in without asking any questions and i showed her all the rooms and it was some time before i saw she was wrong in her head she looked about her just as people mostly do look and she was very thoughtful as if she was considering whether the place would suit and then after she'd been a long time looking at the rooms and the garden she went back into the drawing-room and sat down at the table i told her i should be glad if she could make it convenient to leave as i had my washing to do but she said she lived here this was her home and she told me to go away and get on with my work she gave me such a scare that i didn't know how to answer her she spoke very mild and i could see she was a lady but i could see she was out of her mind and that frightened me for fear she should take a violent turn and i all alone in the house with those young children i was afraid to contradict her so i just let her please herself and sit in the drawing-room alone while i got on with my bit of washing and kept the children well out of the way i never felt more thankful in my life than when you rang the bell i am going as far as the post-office to send off some telegrams and i want you to take care she doesn't leave this house while i'm away said lord cheriton emphasizing his request with a sovereign thank you kindly sir i'll do my best i'm sure i'm sorry for her with all my heart poor dear lady and i want you to give me the use of this house for to-day and possibly for to-night if by any chance i should not be able to get her away to-night yes sir you are free and welcome to the house as far as it's mine to give leave and it's been empty too long for there to be much chance of a tenant turning up between now and to-morrow very good then i shall send in a little furniture just enough to make her comfortable for a few hours and when i come back you can get her something to eat and make her some tea yes sir you won't be gone long i hope for fear she should turn violent she will not do that she has never been violent i am very glad to hear that appearances are so deceitful sometimes when folks are wrong in their heads lord cheriton had told the cabman to wait he got into the cab and drove to the nearest upholsterer's where he hired a table a comfortable sofa a couple of chairs a small square carpet and some pillows and blankets in the event of mrs porter having to bivouac in myrtle cottage he meant her only to leave that shelter for a place of restraint under medical care this done he went to the post-office and telegraphed first to marion gray hercules buildings your mother is at myrtle cottage camberwell grove and very ill go to her without delay cheriton 
his second telegram was to dr mainwaring welbeck street meet me as soon as possible at myrtle cottage camberwell green and send a trained nurse experienced in mental cases to the same address i want your advice upon a case in which time is of vital importance he sent another telegram to another medical man dr wilmot also an old acquaintance and a fourth to theodore dalbrook at the priory mrs porter is in london and in my care you need have no further apprehension he was back at myrtle cottage within the half-hour and was able to direct the men who had just brought a small van containing the furniture he saw the things carried into the room that had been the dining-room which was empty the policeman's family preferring to camp in the kitchen and had them arranged there with some appearance of comfort then he went back to the drawing-room where mrs porter was standing at the window staring at the weeping ash i didn't know the tree was so big she muttered the dining-room is in better order he said gently will you come and sit there while they get you some tea yes james she answered meekly and then she added with almost the voice and manner of twenty years ago tell me about your day she followed him into the other room and seated herself opposite him looking at him expectantly tell me about your day in the law courts was it dull or interesting had you any great case on i forget i forget she had always questioned him on his return from the law courts she had read the reports of all his cases and all his rivals cases interesting herself in everything that concerned his career and now there was so much of the past in her manner that his heart ached as he listened to her he could not humour her delusion i have sent for your daughter he said gravely thinking that name might bring her back to a sense of the present time she will be here before long i believe i hope you will receive her kindly why have you sent for her she cried vexed and startled she is very well where she is happy and well the nurse told me so in her last letter i can't have her here you know that james you know how people would talk by and by and how they would ferret out the truth by and by when we want to stand clear of the past evelyn the past is long past and our child is a woman a sorrowful woman i want you to take her to your heart again if you have any heart left in you i have not she cried with a sudden change appalling in its instantaneousness my heart died within me twenty years ago when you broke it in this house yes in this house james dalbrook god help me i have been dreaming i thought i was living here again in the old time and that you had come home to me as you used to come before you broke your promise and abandoned me to marry a rich young wife heart no i have a fiery scorpion here where my heart used to be do you think if i had had a heart i could have killed him that young man who never injured me by so much as one scornful word it was the thought of your daughter that maddened me the thought of her happiness the sound of the church bells and the cheering and the sight of the flags and garlands and laurel arches while my daughter your nameless unacknowledged child was an outcast and i who should have been your wife and the happy mother of just as happy a bride i was living in that silent solitary cottage alone and unloved upon the land where my father and his forefathers had been owners of the soil i had dreamed the dream and you had realized it all through those moonlight nights i was awake and roaming about in the park from midnight till dawn thinking 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 till i felt as if my brain must burst with the agony of thought and then i remembered tom darcy's pistols and i took one of them with me of a night 
i hardly knew why i carried that pistol about with me but i felt a necessity to kill something once i was near shooting one of the red deer but the creature looked at me with its plaintive eyes so bold and so tame in his sense of security and i fondled him instead of killing him and then i took to prowling about by the house and i saw those two in the lamp-lit room in their wedded happiness their wedded happiness james not such a union as ours secret darkened by a cloud of shame i saw your daughter in her bright young beauty the proud triumphant wife and then a devilish thought took hold of me the thought of seeing her widowed broken-hearted the thought that i might be her evil destiny that just by stretching out my arm and pulling a trigger i could bring down all that pride into the dust could bring youth and beauty down to my level of dull despair it was a devilish thought it was but it was my thought all the same for three days and three nights it was never absent from my mind god knows how i got through the common business of the day how the few people with whom i came in contact did not see murder in my face i watched and waited for my opportunity and when the moment came i did not waver there are old people at cheriton who could tell you that evelyn strangway at fifteen years old was as good a shot as either of her brothers my hand had not forgotten its cunning and your daughter was a widow three weeks after she was made a wife by so much as she was happier than i by so much was her joy briefer than mine she sank into a corner of the large armchair and covered her face with her hands muttering to herself he heard the words i made myself her evil destiny i was her fate nemesis nemesis the sins of the fathers it is the scripture he could not stay in the room with her after that confession she had been perfectly coherent in telling the story of her crime and it seemed to him that even now she gloated over the evil she had wrought that had it been in her power to undo her work by the lifting of her hand she would hardly have used that power she seemed a malignant spirit rejoicing in evil he went out into the passage and told the policeman's wife to look after her and then he went to the desolate drawing-room and walked up and down the bare boards waiting for the arrival of one or both of the doctors what would they think of her mental condition she had been curiously coherent just now the temporary delusion had passed away like a cloud she had spoken as a person fully conscious of her acts and accountable for them judged by her speech just now she was a criminal who deserved the sternest measure of the law but he who knew of those long years of brooding he who knew the story of her wrongs and how those wrongs must have acted upon that proud and stubborn spirit to him there seemed little doubt that her mind had long lost its balance and that her crime had been the culminating crisis of a long period of melancholia he waited the verdict of the doctors with acutest anxiety for only in an asylum did he see safety for this unhappy sinner the finding of the pistol would inevitably be talked about at cheriton and it was possible that at any moment suspicion might take the right direction to get her away to get her hidden from the world was his most ardent desire but this was not inconsistent with his desire to spare her to do the best that could be done for her the thought that he had ruined her life that his wrong-doing was at the root of all her miseries was never absent from his mind dr mainwaring was the first to arrive he was a man of supreme refinement gentle compassionate an artist by talent and temperament intellectual to the tips of his fingers 
he had made insanity and the care of the insane the work of his life as his father and grandfather had done before him and he enjoyed the privilege of having been born in an age of enlightenment which they had not even foreseen in their happiest anticipations he had met lord cheriton often in london society and had visited him in the country and they were as close friends as two busy men of the world can be he was mystified by so sudden a summons and to such a locality but he had too much tact to betray any surprise he listened quietly to lord cheriton's explanation that he was wanted to form an opinion of a dependent whose state of mind had given him cause for uneasiness i will say very little about her till you have seen her said cheriton if it should appear to you and to my friend wilmot whom i have asked to meet you if you should decide that she ought to be placed under restraint i should wish her to be removed immediately to your house at cheshunt i know that she will be made as happy there as her state of mind will admit and i shall rely upon your kind consideration for making this a special case you may be assured i shall do my uttermost for any one in whom you are interested my dear cheriton but indeed i think you must know that i do my uttermost in every case it is only in some small details that i can ever show special attention is this poor lady very violent no she is very quiet and there is no suicidal mania i hope i have seen no evidence of it but she left her home in a strange and motiveless manner this morning and that coupled with other indications in the past gave me the alarm has she any delusions yes it was under a delusion that she came to this empty house she lived here many years ago and on talking to her just now i found her unconscious of the lapse of time and fancying that all things were still as they were when she was a young woman has she had any illness lately none that i know of i fear there can be little doubt as to her malady will you take me to her she will be less alarmed if you are with me oh by the by the nurse you asked for will be here almost immediately i am glad of that there is only a wretched slattern in the house whom i don't like to see in attendance upon my poor friend lord cheriton and the doctor went into the room where mrs porter was sitting facing the window staring moodily at the trailing tendrils of virginia creeper and a passion-flower hanging from the roof of the veranda and shutting out the light there was something unspeakably desolate in that glimpse of neglected garden seen athwart the neglected verger with the smoky london sky as a background she looked round quickly at the sound of footsteps and started up from her chair who is this man she asked turning to lord cheriton are you going to send me to prison you have lost no time this gentleman is my old friend and he is interested in helping you if he can you had better leave us together said dr mainwaring gently lord cheriton left the room silently and paced the narrow entrance hall listening with intense anxiety to the low murmuring sound of voices on the other side of the door there were no loud tones from either speaker there could be neither anger nor profound agitation upon mrs porter's side the listener thought as he awaited the result of the interview a knock at the hall door startled him from his expectancy and he hastened to admit the new arrival it was his other medical friend dr wilmot stout and jovial more adapted to assist at a wedding than a funeral more fitted to prescribe from wine-bibbing aldermen or dowagers who needed to be kept up on roderer or mum than to stand beside the bed of agony or listening to the ravings of a mind distraught mainwaring came out of the dining-room at the sound of voices in the hall ah how do you do wilmot you will have very little trouble in making up your mind about this poor soul go in and talk to her while i take a turn in the garden with his lordship 
he opened the dining-room door and dr wilmot passed in smiling agreeable and beginning at once in an oily voice my dear lady my friend mainwaring suggests that i should have a little chat with you while while lord cheriton and he are admiring the garden a very nice garden upon my word for the immediate vicinity of london one hardly expects such a nice bit of ground nowadays may i feel your pulse thanks a little too rapid for perfect health what do you and that other man mean by all this pretence she exclaimed indignantly i am not ill are you a doctor or a policeman in disguise if you want to take me to prison i am ready to go with you i came to london on purpose to give myself up you need not beat about the bush i am ready mad very mad thought dr wilmot detaining the unwilling wrist and noting its tumultuous pulsations by the second hand of his professional watch lord cheriton and dr mainwaring were pacing slowly up and down the moss-grown gravel while this was happening how did you find her curiously calm and collected for the first part of the interview had it not been for her troubled eye and the nervous movements of her hands i should have supposed her as sane as you or i i talked to her of indifferent subjects and her answers were consecutive and reasonable although it was evident she resented my presence it was only when i asked her why she had come to london that she became agitated and incoherent and began to talk about having committed a murder and wishing to give herself up and make a full confession of her guilt instead of waiting for the law to find her out she was going to find the law she had no fear of the result she had long been tired of her life and she was not afraid of the disgrace of a felon's death her whole manner as she said this showed a deep-rooted delusion and i am of opinion that her mind has been unhinged for a long time that notion of an imaginary crime is often a fixed idea in lunacy a madman will conceive a murder that never took place or he will connect himself with some actual murder and insist upon his guilt often with an extraordinary appearance of truth and reality until he is shaken by severe cross-examination you will receive her in your house at once i have no objection if wilmot's opinion coincides with mine but another medical man must sign the certificate if she is to enter my house i have no doubt as to her being in a condition to require restraint she is not violent at present but if she is not taken care of she will go wandering about in search of a police magistrate and with increasing excitement there will be every likelihood of acute mania ah here comes wilmot well what do you think of the case wilmot mad undeniably mad she took me for a policeman and raved about a murder for which she wanted to give herself up to justice a fixed delusion you see said mainwaring with a gentle sigh do you know how long she has had this idea cheriton indeed i do not her position on my estate was a peculiar one she lived at one of the lodges but her status was not that of an ordinary dependent she was her own mistress and lived a very solitary life after her daughter left her i have sent for the daughter who will be here presently i hope my first notice of anything amiss was a hint dropped by a young medical man who was visiting at cheriton he saw mrs porter and formed the opinion that she either had been off her head in the past or was likely to go off her head in the future that startled me and i had it in my mind to ask you to come down to see her mainwaring when there came the sudden departure of this morning a departure which was so at variance with her former habits that it made me anxious for her safety i followed her to london first to her daughter's lodging and then here where by mere guesswork i found her do you think that it may be the sad event of last year the murder of your son-in-law which has put this notion into her head 
it is not unlikely that dreadful event made a profound impression upon everybody at cheriton she being a reserved and thoughtful woman may have brooded over it until she grew to associate herself with the crime said wilmot nothing more likely was the murderer never found by the way never but there can be no suspicion against this lady i conclude she can have been in no way concerned in the crime i think you only have to look at her in order to be satisfied upon that point said lord cheriton and the two physicians agreed that the poor lady in question was not of the criminal type and that nothing was more common in the history of mental aberration than the hallucination to which she was a victim those monotonous lives of annuitants and genteel dependents exempt from labour and to the outward eye full of placid contentment do not infrequently tend towards madness said dr wilmot i have seen more than one such case as this there are some minds that have no need of action or variety some natures which can vegetate in harmless nullity there are other tempers which prey upon themselves in solitude and brood upon fancies till they lose touch of realities this lady is of the latter type highly organized sensitive to a marked degree of the genus irritabile you will take all necessary steps at once said lord cheriton looking from one doctor to the other both were consentient dr wilmot drove off at once to find the nearest medical man and brought him back in his carriage a very brief interview with the patient convinced this gentleman of the necessity for gentle restraint and the certificate was signed by him and dr wilmot it was six o'clock and the shadows were deepening in the room where mrs porter was sitting quiescent silent in a kind of apathy from which she was scarcely roused by the entrance of the nurse from cheshunt a tall comely-looking woman of about thirty neatly dressed and with pleasant manners mrs porter sat there in her dull lethargy the food that had been prepared for her untasted at her side the nurse looked at the patient with a keen professional eye and from the patient to the tray where an ill-cooked chop stagnated in a pool of grease and where the unused teacup showed that even the feminine refreshment of tea had failed to tempt her she hasn't eaten anything said the nurse and she looks weak and wasted as if she had been for a long time without food you'd better send for some beef essence and a little brandy she ought to be kept up somehow if she is to be taken to chess hunt to-night it will be a long drive lord cheriton dispatched the policeman's wife to the nearest chemist's and the nearest wine merchant's while he went himself to a livery stable and ordered a brougham and pair to be at middle cottage at seven o'clock the certificate had been signed and there was nothing to hinder the removal of the patient he found mercy with her mother upon his return but the mother had given no sign of recognition and the daughter sorrowfully acknowledged the necessity of the case after dr mainwaring had gently explained her mother's condition to her i am not surprised she said with sad submission i saw it coming years ago i have lain awake many a night when i was a girl listening to her footsteps as she walked up and down her bedroom and to the heart-broken sigh that she gave every now and then in the dead of the night when she thought there was no one to hear her an hour later the woman who for twenty years had been known as mrs porter and who was to carry that name to her dying day was on her way to the grange chessunt with her daughter and the nurse in the carriage with her she had made no resistance had gone where she was asked to go with an apathetic indifference had given no trouble but although her daughter had been with her for an hour doing all that tender attention could do to awaken her memory there had been not a word or a look from the mother to betoken consciousness of her existence yet it was clear that the mental powers were only clouded not extinguished for as lord cheriton stood a little way outside the porch watching her as she passed out to the carriage she stopped suddenly and looked at him 
will you and i ever meet again james dalbrook she asked solemnly he paled at the address in those clear incisive tones dreading what she might say next i think it may be better we should not meet he said gloomily i have placed you in the care of those who will do the best that can be done for you you are sending me to a madhouse in the care of a mad doctor that is your substitute for cheriton chase the home i used to dream about ages ago in this house the home you and i were to have shared as man and wife it was my birthplace james and i would to god it had been my grave before i ever looked upon your face the nurse hustled her charge into the carriage muttering something about delusions but dr mainwaring was too shrewd a student of humanity not to perceive some meaning in these consecutive utterances he had no doubt that mrs porter was deranged and a person who would be the better for the moderate restraint of a well-ordered asylum but he had also no doubt that she had her lucid intervals and that in this farewell speech she had let in the light upon her past relations with james dalbrook first baron cheriton that revelation accounted for some points in the law-lord's conduct which had hitherto been incomprehensible to his friend the doctor End of chapter seventeen